0: The following podcast is a Clutch Media production.
1: Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. On today's episode, we sat down with Brandy, the founder of EVO Beauty. And for those that don't know, EVO is redefining luxury beauty to be kind, conscious, and affordable. And I think one thing you'll hear in the way that Brandy talks is how this is not just like a label that they slap on the front door of, of this this company. This is a true, true brand value. And she has a couple of really good mantras, some of which I'm stealing. Sorry, Brandy. Um, but a couple of really good mantras. And you can see how this mission to be more kind and conscious really extends beyond anything beauty or cosmetics related. And so I'm pumped because I think this is just the beginning. I think there are so many avenues and so many outlets for instilling these values. And I think she's the right person to do it. World domination is in her future.
2: Oh my gosh, absolutely. Like her story just blows me away. And I think this has been, this episode is such a good reminder that you don't have to have it all figured out and i think the way brandy shares that in this episode is just it makes it feel so much more attainable because she's so open and honest about her journey where she's been where she's going where she's at right now and how she makes it all work um it's just it's so inspiring and the way she speaks so openly is honestly like a gift it really is It's a gift. Well, I love the way that you just said that because it's so true.
1: And one thing I really want to make sure we level set on because you'll hear her talk and you'll think she's like the most humble person in the world, but she's no joke. Like she literally started this company with $15 in her pocket and scaled to a $15 million valuation in five years, you guys. EVO it means serious business, and she's doing this and growing this business so that she can give back and support and write the things that she feels are wrong in this world. It's just a really special story, and I'm excited to share that with everybody.
2: Oh my gosh, me too. I think you guys are going to love this one. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let's do it. welcome back to another episode. Today, we have Brandy with us, and she is the founder of EVO Beauty. Brandy, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. We're so excited to chat, and I think um, I mean Kelsey and I have done a lot of research on your business and your founder story, and it's incredible. So I think before we get into everything, it would be great to hear your backstory and how and why you founded EVO.
0: Yeah, Um, so I know we were just talking about this in our pre-show chat. That this is definitely my number one most asked question Mm -hmm. (laughs) is to talk about the backstory. Um, So I started EVO when I was 21 years old, and I was living in a safe house, woman shelter, after making the choice to leave an unhealthy relationship. And while I was there, I was distracting myself. This was like nine years ago, so. this is kind of before Instagram and a lot of our social platforms that we now um, have in our lives and in our tool belts. Um, But at that time, I distracted myself with YouTube videos. And um, the number one most watched thing on YouTube was makeup tutorials. And Mm -hmm. I taught myself how to use Photoshop on YouTube. And then I Photoshopped an entire catalog of made up Beauty products, and in a fire festival um, oh way, <laughs> I brought it around to local boutiques. I was like, "Want to buy this product?" There's going to be a three month turnaround time. Um, unlike Fire Festival, I actually pulled it off um, and <laughs> made products happen and delivered them. And. Um, yeah, that's, that's where EVO started. And I would say the rest is history, but honestly, there is so many highs and lows, um, that then go, go from, from there to, to where we are today. But essentially that is, that is our founding story. That is how we started. (laughs) I love
1: it. And you're not off the hook. We're going to go through some of those highs and lows in this episode, but I have to bet like this, honestly, I just have to ask you're going in and you're pitching like longer lead times where people like, can I sample, can I get something? Like, how did you, combat those types of questions?
0: No. And you know what? I think it's so interesting because most people, not just then, um, it's definitely changed in today's world um, because we we are pitched more often um, and there are more, you know, indie beauty brands out there. There's just more brands out there because of the boom of, of e-com. But mm-hmm. especially, you know, nine years ago, um, it was... It, and it still is now and i think that people dismiss this but business is really a human to human connection and if you are able to quickly form a relationship with somebody you are able to overcome a lot of those objectives very quickly and easily by just expressing to them your intentions and building that trust quickly and they would be they they are and they were willing to take a gamble on you so the photos and the intent and
2: the concept around the brand was
0: enough for them to commit.
2: Wow. Wow. Okay. I love that. And I have to ask, what do you think was the key that helped you build those connections? Like what were you saying or was it just what you were pitching and, and the visuals you had created or what do you think that was, that was helping to build those relationships? Totally. If if I told you that I remembered what
0: I said, I would totally be lying because I have no <laughs> idea what I said Yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago. And, and honestly, like I'm not even the same person as I was then. And okay. also during that time of my life, I was under immense stress and I mm-hmm. don't think I had any rhyme or reason or strategy to the things I was doing or, and especially the things I was saying. So um, I think that really what it was, was one, um, that my approach was so naive (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, that it was refreshing. And I think that People get so used to being pitched in the way that, you know, you're taught to do a pitch that somebody coming in to sell you something honestly Mm -hmm. and naively and you can just tell that they are so authentic, especially back then, because they just don't know any better is refreshing. And that on its own, that kind of vulnerability often opens up vulnerability in the other party. And yeah. that's that's how relationships are built, is when two parties are willing to be open and honest. And um, and yeah, I th- I think I got really fortunate enough too to really understand the type of people that I was pitching to and what some of their. Um, desires were and be able to really touch on that so being in the beauty industry nine years ago too there wasn't a lot of female presence there weren't a lot of female founders and there certainly were not a lot if any female founders that were 21 so that definitely put us in a position where we were pitching to other often these small boutiques in the in Vancouver that we were pitching to were also um female entrepreneurs who were used to not having female representation in the beauty space
1: yeah and i mean clearly the message that you were sharing did resonate and i think you hit it bang on it's people connect with people and if when you when you show up as a person you're automatically setting yourself apart from so many people you got picked up pretty early on by credo tell us about that experience
0: yeah we did we were actually in a subscription box called pedivoire and um they're they're a vegan they're an excellent subscription box definitely go check them out if you are into like healthy clean vegan products and uh, they purchased some of our gel liner and it just so happened that somebody who worked at credo in fact the um the I think she was the chief operating officer now she's the CEO because unfortunately and sadly the founder of Credo has passed away Mm -hmm. um but um her name was Annie and she received our product in that box or somebody told her about the product who received it in the box one way or another and she loved it so they reached out to us um and we were one of their first color cosmetics um in, in the Credo store when at that time they only had one Store two stores. They had their oh San Fran store and just opened their New York store, and um, we were fortunate enough for them to be really kind and understanding. And and they didn't know what was going on in my life. I didn't at that time. I didn't share with anybody that I was living in a shelter right. um, or that I had just gotten out of the shelter. And so I was trying to I was trying to keep up with all of the other you know, cosmetic competitors. So I did the best that I could, but they were always very understanding. Um, and, uh, yeah, they were an excellent, excellent partner in store.
2: Wow. Okay. And then something that else that's coming to mind is how are you going about formulating and finding suppliers and, um, developing your products throughout this process and, and how has that evolved? Yeah, it has evolved so
0: much. Um, so originally when I told people that, hey, um, would you like to buy these lip glosses? There's a three-month turnaround time. Um, I then took to Google and was like, how do you make lip gloss? Oh, my um, gosh. I
2: love
0: and- that. And I learned about white label. So for those who of you who don't know, white label is super common in the cosmetic space. Um, and what white label is, is when a manufacturer creates a collection of products and sells them to multiple brands and just puts different labels on them. But it's the same bulk. It's the same product. Mm-hmm. Um This is super common and uh, a common misconception in beauty is that like these luxury products are the best. Um, The more you pay for it, the better it is. But the truth is, is that most of them are white labeled. And so a product that you're going to get for $6 may be the exact same product, just with a different, just dressed up different, with a different label on it that you are buying for $85. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so I went to white label and um, got a uh, white label product from a manufacturer and that was what we started with now. And the nice thing about that, if anybody is interested in starting their own cosmetic line is that your MOQs, your minimum order quantities are very low. So the barrier to entry is much lower for you to start with a white label. Um, now the how that has evolved is that all of our formulas are custom manufactured so to give a little bit of um, uh, uh, reference to that in terms of what the barrier to entry is if you decide to create a cosmetic line on the onset that's custom manufactured we have to at any given time manufacture anywhere between 10 and twenty five thousand pieces depending on the product per every single time we do a run um that can be quite pricey. That means that when we're doing a run, it can cost us anywhere between fifty dollars to $200,000. Wow. Um, and so that just obviously was not something that was accessible to me at the point in which I started. I had like $15 um, and was living in a shelter. So that those barriers to entry just were not possible. Um, so that's really how we've evolved. And now we do have, um, Bushra is kind of my right hand arm. She is incredible. And she has a background in, in, um, cosmetics much longer than I've been in cosmetics. And, um, she is the one who manages and oversees all of our product development. And then I'm super involved in terms of, um, trying all of our products, um, and, uh, Right now, due to COVID, we can't be in the labs. But previously, mm. I would be in the lab um, and really involved in like, hey, like you know, let's try this product, let's try that product. It typically takes us about 180 days, um, and anywhere between um, four to I think on one project right now we're on like number 18 of iterations of one formula. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a much more involved, much more heart driven process now. No kidding. Oh my gosh.
1: That's so exciting. And that's a lot of evolution in not that much time. How did you stay on top of everything? Like I have to imagine how fast your world was changing.
0: How did you keep your head above water? Oh, that is a loaded question. I think that like there's two parts to that question. It's Like, how did I keep my head above water personally and mentally? And Mm -hmm. then, like, and then also from a professional perspective. And to be quite frank, like, I don't think I have my shit together. Like, I don't think I've done a good job of keeping my head above water. Um, And, in fact, I even remember, like, looking back at things that um, this moment, actually, in March of 2020. um, If it's okay, I'm going to tell, like, a little story. because please um, do. Okay. (laughs) Because... I remember, okay, so March of 2020, I was super grateful and fortunate to receive um, the 25 Top Women of Influence in Canada Award. And I remember when I received that award, it meant the world to me because I remember like a week after leaving the shelter, um, I had learned about that award. And I saw all of these nominees and all these recipients receiving this award. And I thought to myself, man, those women have their shit together. And like Mm. what I would give to be amongst that group of women. And then fast forward eight years later, and I was fortunate to be amongst that incredible oh group of women. And I was like, I don't have my shit together. I have no idea what I'm doing. And um what a like, what a perception skew is that like we often, you know, like look at people whom you know, we, we think that they have their shit together and that they're keeping their head above water and that they have all these things going on for them. But then when we kind of like open up the curtain or when we talk to them about how they're feeling, they're like, oh, man, like. Oh man, like, yeah. I don't really know. To start. So that's, that's my response to that question. How did I keep my head above water? I'm not sure I have. I mean, it's some, <laughs> like, like from the outside looking in on some days I'd be like, yeah, like not only is it above water, like I'm sailing, but, um,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: yeah, I mean, it's, it's all perception from, you know, like from one day to the next as to how you're doing. And I'm sorry, that is my dog.
2: Oh, cutie.
0: <laughs>
1: don't apologize. We love dogs. <laughs> you know, actually, Brandy, it reminds me, it's so funny. I remember being like 22 years old, and I was working at this tech company. And I remember there were people who were like 26, 27. I'm like, wow, when I'm 26, I'm going to have my stuff figured out. And like you hit 26 and you were like, okay, it's all a scam. None of this is real. (laughs) And this is such a, this is such a theme for you. I've heard you talk about this on other podcasts, but like you were living in a shelter, you would go home and behind closed doors. It was not nearly as polished. Like you just mentioned on this podcast as well. Do you ever regret being so polished on the outside and, like, not having that match the inside? Like, do you ever wish you were more open about that at the time?
0: That is such a good question. Um, oh, I feel like hindsight – what's that saying? Like, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, Yeah. Um, yes and no. Um, and the reason why I would answer yes and no is because I don't think that I – Like, part of it, too, is a mental game you're playing with yourself. Um, And I think that if – during the time that I was in the shelter and, like, the year, two years, even three years preceding it, I think that I – if I was more open, I don't think I would have been as strong as I was. Mm. Um, And I say that because – Years after, so even 2019 was 2018 and 2019 and 2017 were the years that I was really open about it. Mm-hmm. But I was just coping. I wasn't healing. And every single time I was open about it, there would be a floodgate of other men and women sharing their stories with me because they could relate and that was a lot of responsibility for someone who was just coping. Mm-hmm. Um, who was still trying to who, figure that out for themselves. And, and work who, who was really struggling from PTSD, unwilling to admit it to myself and to others.
2: Wow.
0: And now having this added responsibility of people thinking that I had it all figured out, but I wasn't sharing it openly from the beginning because I was really hurting inside. And so to answer the question, like yes and no, I wish I was more open in some regards because looking back at it, I think that there's certainly been times where like people think that EVO is bigger than it is. So they hold it to a different standard. Whereas I, I really value authenticity and I want people to know that like, you know, yes, we're doing some pretty badass big things and we have big dreams and goals, but we're still like, I want to be authentic of who we are, where our roots are and how small we are and how hard we work and, and that we don't have it figured out. And that this is a human experiment like any business is and, and have it be a more human business than like a corporation, you know? But mm-hmm. yeah, hindsight, I don't think I would have mentally had the strength to carry the load of of what it would have been if
2: I was more open. Hmm. I completely – yeah, I, I can totally appreciate that. I think it's like you need to get yourself to a place where – internally, you're good. So you can then share more broadly. Um, And I think it is just like that process. And I think it's incredible that you're here now and sharing it. And I think it's awesome to hear that, you know, you've been able to, to heal and work through things. And yeah, I think it's, you know, there's no, there's no rush on sharing that. And it should really be when it works for you. And
0: in the nature of being honest and open about it now, is that, you never heal and I think that people need to be more open about that because when you do start sharing or even I mean a good example of it is like I am in an incredible and healthy and supportive relationship with the most amazing fiance ever and I always thought that um you know that I needed to get to a place where, like, I healed and I was in a really good place before entering into a relationship. And I was, I before meeting my partner, I loved my life. I was in such a good position. I was, I was in the best place ever in my career. I was living life up. I was, I was really in a great place. Um, and it took me years to get there. However, then I enter into a relationship, and. I exposed myself to, you know, new, new things that I needed to heal Mm -hmm, from because you only heal as much as you're exposing yourself to it. So if you are keeping yourself in a bubble, so for example, um, even if I did get to a place where I was ready, where I was healed, uh, or you know, in a healthy place to share, as soon as you share, you're opening up a new layer in which you're now going to have to heal from from opening, like it's it's new layers of, of healing and it's an mm-hmm. ongoing forever journey. The more you expose yourself to different elements, the more you have to, you know, heal or fi- mm-hmm. figure out how you're now going to navigate through those elements. So I want to be really honest and open about that because like it hasn't gotten easier. If mm-hmm. anything, it's actually gotten a lot harder. I've just figured out and gotten new tools mm-hmm. of how to, kind of like cope and try to be consistent, um, with, with how I am sharing, um, because it does, it does open up a floodgates of people to share their traumas as well. And, and that's, that's challenging.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's heavy. I can imagine. And I love the fact that you're sharing this. We had a woman on named Sarah. She's one of the co-founders of flair, which is a, a tool that helps women, um, in like compromising situations. And she said the exact same thing. She's like, it's a connection with your audience that very, very few founders will ever get, but it's heavy and you are open and raw with all of these people. And that that's tiring. If I'm being completely honest, so I love the fact that you're experiencing that and setting boundaries and finding a way for it to be healthy. How do you think of that in terms of your business relationship, right? Like you've got this huge purpose and this huge mission, you've also got a growing business to tend to. Where's that line and how do you kind of divide your time and attention?
0: Yeah. Uh, Also, another great question. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes, I mean, our mission is always front and center. And there's even times where... more so than not, where we're like, okay, we have to talk about our product because ultimately we need to sell product um, in order to keep this all alive. So um, yeah, it's, I mean, I think because of where we started and how we started, we didn't start as a business. We started as a movement and a mission that just so happened to be a business. Totally. Um, And so it never really the two never really compete for one another because it's very clear that first and foremost, we are a movement and a mission. And second, we are a business. Um, I mean, our shareholders may say otherwise, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, um, but ultimately that's how we operate. And, and like being good, for the community is good for business, period. Um, There is studies that show further than, you know, just the influence that we have from EVO statistics, but there are other studies that show that that, um, people will pay more and be more involved in a conscious company. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that you know, they, they never really compete for, um, you know, what's going to be focused on now because they're one in the same. And and it's very clear that the mission and purpose is is number one, and that is good for business.
2: Hmm, I love it. And I agree. I think conscious consumerism is it. And consumers expect more from the brands they're shopping with, I think, especially in the younger generations now. And like you said, not only is it you know, just a good thing to do and, and you know, really makes the world better, but then it also is good for business. So that's incredible. Um, can you reiterate your mission for the audience? I don't know if we like fully dug into it at the beginning of the episode.
0: Of course. Yeah. So our mission at EVO is, is plain and simple. We just want a kinder, more conscious future. And The way that we go about that um, plays in in a ton of different um, platforms and sectors, but it's always the same. How do we make a kinder, more conscious future? And so that falls into different campaigns that we're creating. It also falls into um, the ingredients that we choose to use in our products and making sure that they're all good for you. Um, It also plays into our eco-friendly initiatives and ultimately it also plays into our golden rule is really um as we know better we do better so mm-hmm. we certainly are not one of those brands that say like we are an expert at good for you ingredients or we are an expert because we know that that just it's bullshit. like let's just be honest anyone who is telling you that like we are the expert in in this and that like it's a journey it's a journey for everybody and as we know better we do better and and that's the way it should be i mean that's also how innovation works is that, um, you know, the minute that, you know, new innovations come out to be more eco-friendly, we're going to educate ourselves on it and weigh that out to all of our other values and say, okay, is this something that we can make accessible to others and in a way that is affordable so that it doesn't segregate, um, you know, privilege. Um, and, and because that's something that I think is super important to create a kind and conscious future is to ensure that we're inclusive in that manner as well. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of, there's, There's a lot to unpack there in terms of how to navigate that, but at the end of the day, as we know better, we do better, and our mission is to create a kind and conscious future.
1: As we know better, we do better. I love that mantra, and I feel like that applies to so many different things that you're working on. One thing we were talking about before we got on air was the fact that you are decidedly Direct to consumer. You've decided not to go the wholesale route, which for a cosmetics company is really rare. But I think it just speaks to this mission where just because it's, you know, that's the way things have been done up until this point, doesn't mean it's right and doesn't mean that's how it should be done. Talk to us a little bit about your wholesale or your retail philosophy.
0: Yeah, so this was a really difficult choice to make, um, but in 2019 we did um, go completely direct to consumer, and we haven't sold wholesale since. Um, and really, it it stemmed from, um, you know, 20. 20- 17, 2018, we saw a huge shift in retail and we're going to continue to see a much bigger shift in retail now due to COVID as well. And we're already seeing it. Um, but the relationship, I really felt the, that the relationship between retailers and buyers and brands and founders um, needed to go through a shift and needed to go through a change. Um, and really, honestly, like, let, let's be somewhat empathetic to that process as well, because I don't, I'm not sure I've ever really heard anybody talk about the shift of retail and e-com in this kind of perspective, that there was a huge shift um, that now, you know, brands don't necessarily um, rely on retailers the way that they once did. Mm -hmm. And so previously there was this huge hierarchy of buyers at retailers were like the ones that you needed to impress. And in the beauty industry, it was a lot of like wine and dining and like who you knew. And there's there's definitely a lot of like privilege involved in in that perspective of like, who do you know, how much can you wine and dine them and make them fall in love with you? Um, or do you have enough brand power to negotiate a good contract to get into that retailers and and a contract in which isn't going to bankrupt the brand? Yeah. Um Because retailers, especially large-scale retailers, it is very expensive um, for a brand to be in those retailers. Um, It's it's expensive from a fixturing perspective. It's expensive from a marketing perspective. In those large retailers, the brands are paying for the marketing initiatives. Um, And so there was this huge shift of retailers, e-com, as well as an an uprise of, um, of indie beauty brands. And all of that was kind of happening at the same time, but there wasn't necessarily a shift of support to indie brands from retailers. And so that was what kind of pushed the initiative for me to say, you know what, this isn't really sustainable. And being an indie brand who's still building our community, we don't really have the pull to be able to negotiate a contract that's going to be in our favor um, in the way in which retailers and brands are currently um residing with one another. And the only other brand that we've seen really successfully do this, and they've been wildly well-funded in the beauty space, is really Glossier. Mm -hmm. And um, Emily Weiser has done an incredible job of really leading that innovation and initiative to really be a brand who hasn't leaned on retailer relationships. And um, that also, I think, gives a lot of hope and incentive for brands to be able to kind of like, you know, lean on their own community more and be able to build their own brand, build their own, um, their, their own authority prior to going into retailers. Um, so that it is more of an even playing field and, um, that it isn't necessarily a situation that takes advantage of the brands. However, I want to also give kudos to retailers. Um, I don't want to just like shit on them because that's not what I mean at all. Um, But I want to give kudos to retailers because retailers also do give so much brand awareness to these indie brands um, and Mm -hmm. really help escalate and help these indie brands grow and grow quickly. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword, like which one do you want to do? Um, We chose to go the route of like really leaning into building our own community prior to engaging in retailers. So we certainly will in the future, but
2: um, we wanted to be a community first company. That's incredible. And I think it's a good testament, like you said, like you don't want to shit on retailers. It's like you can there's options now. You don't have to go the old antiquated way and conform to what these retailers expect or need um, or the capital they need. And I think it's it does kind of just democratize the ability to grow a brand, um, which is amazing absolutely and and i love that too and to take a quote from
0: um a very intelligent quote from emily weiser was that she she said those those words like democratizing beauty Mm -hmm. and um and i think that that that's a a really important note to make amongst the the kind of the retailer.com and and deciphering the different distribution opportunities um because to your point it's not something that's even now commonly done
1: Yep. It's so true. Now, I'm curious, looking back on the past, let's call it eight years, what do you think the biggest missed
0: opportunity was? Oh. Um, oh, that question really gets me thinking. Because. Um,
1: I'll give you a little bit of context while you're thinking for me, I hear like, okay, decidedly not wholesale. You've been so intentional about what makes sense for your brand and your ethos and what doesn't. And I'm curious looking back if you think like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have taken myself out of that running in one way or another. Totally.
0: I have that thought frequently. And I also, like, I know that, that the EVO team, I drive them insane because literally from week to week, I'm like, okay, guys, time for us to go back into wholesale. <laughs> and then they're like, no, Brandy, no. Like, <laughs> them as well, like, everybody on the team, we're so aligned with, with, um, you know, what our focus is, but it's hard. It is so hard. And, and often, you know, you can't help but compare yourself to other brands as well, especially in the day and age of Instagram and TikTok and everything else. So, you know, we're, we're seeing some of our peers that we really admire and they're going into these huge wholesalers and, and having that additional brand awareness. And we know that that's something that's accessible to us. Um, but we're making a conscious choice not to do it yet and to be really intentional as to what's best for us um, prior to going into relationships like that and to make sure that we can support those relationships in a way that we're going to be really proud of. And, um, but yet we, you know, every other week I'm like, maybe we should just do it now. I don't know, like maybe. (laughs) And, and we, yeah, so that it, it potentially could be a lost opportunity. And I could, you know, look back at this interview in this moment, you know, a year, two, three years down the road and be like, shit, I really should have made a different choice. But, um, but that's also the, the fun thing about being an entrepreneur is that if you realize that, you know, you just have to make a choice Mm -hmm. and you have to do what feels best for you and what feels best for your team and for your community and for your products and for your mission, and then you realize if you, it goes back to the same sentiment, as we know better, we do better. So if I'm yeah. making the wrong choice and this is a missed opportunity right now, when I have the where all and enough awareness to recognize that, then I'll make a new choice. No, um, yeah. so, uh, so it right. might be a missed opportunity. <laughs> I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. But um, I mean, there's been a ton of other missed opportunities as well. And in retrospect that, you know, I look back at it, I'm like, oh, you know, I I wish I went about that differently. But and, and a lot of those actually, um, small and big in the last two years. But it, if I'm being really frank, um, I didn't have the mental capacity to, okay. to make any other choices. I mean, I've also been, um, I don't know if I want to call it struggling, um, but I've also been struggling slash thriving um, in this whole adjustment of my personal identity and being as well, coming from such drastic stark differences of literally sheltered to yep. where I am now. And oh. and that has taken so much mental capacity to also, you know, get comfortable and re-identify and deal with the shifts of my life and of my business and all of those things and so I'm making the best choices that I can but certainly there's been missed opportunities and missed opportunities of working with certain people that I wish I worked with them or even I can think of like um even events that I was invited to that I'm like wow like I'm so grateful that I was invited to that event but I just didn't have the mental capacity to go but I think Mm -hmm. if I did go um you know there would have been so much opportunity opened up to me. Um, but, you know, I, I have done the best that I can at the times that I've done. Um, and yeah, same sentiment. Wow. As I know better, I'll do better. And, yeah. and as I have more capacity, I'll, I'll take more on. And um,
2: yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. And I think it's so important that you're putting this emphasis on like, you were going through a lot and working through that and that takes up a lot and maybe your business doesn't get your full capacity, but you're doing the best you can and I just really appreciate that you talk openly about that and even just say, you know, you don't have your shit together now and, and all of those kind of things. It's just, it's so relatable, I think, for a lot of listeners and it helps people understand that like, like you said, you don't need to have it all figured out and you don't need to be at this ideal end state because that ideal end state never really comes and it's like you you work with where you're at right now and you do the best you can in that moment. And then you build momentum and you keep building. And, um, yeah, it just shows incredible resilience. So kudos to you. It's, it's really inspiring. Thank you. And I have to say too, like the, the way that I'm able,
0: able to like the reason why I have the ability to also like be open about these things and also be, um, compassionate to myself about like, when i have the capacity and what i don't is because i do have an incredible team supporting me um so you know like i i am able to you know say hey like i i need to take a breather or I, you know, I'm not putting out a hundred percent of myself to the business right now or vice versa. Like right now I am putting out a hundred percent of myself to the, this business right now. But, you know, there's been sometimes we aren't in a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. No. And so I'm fortunate enough to have an incredible support system around me that, you know, like they're not going to be at hundred percent capacity, hundred percent of the right. time either, but one of us will be at one given time and we mm-hmm. can support support. support each other just the same way as, you know, you do in relationships in your life too. Um, so that, that's the reason why I'm able to, you know, now be really honest about it is because, um, you know, shit still gets done. The company still operates and still grows. Um, And uh, it it needs me to be in a healthy place mentally to be able to be innovative and to do my job within it, which is really directing the brand and making sure that the mission is and the vision is moving forward. Um, And so, you know, that goes in eps and flows just like creativity does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, more power to you. I think this is Yeah. So, so relatable, like Emma just mentioned. And as we are coming to a close in this interview, I'm so curious. You've done so much in the last eight years. If we were to fast forward eight years from today in 2021, what does life look like for you?
0: Oh, I love this question because my um, my partner and I dream about these things and like have these kinds of planning oh, sessions for our future all the time together. Um, so yeah, eight years from now, it's yeah, it's it's hard to believe because I think anything that I'm about to say is probably not even going to scratch the surface because I would have never guessed that the last <laughs> eight years would have been the way that they were. Yeah. Um, but I I would be married to mm-hmm. an incredible partner um uh we got engaged this year during COVID uh, so congrats. that's something that's. thank you uh, that's something that's really exciting to me to think about a, a future in in the kind of healthy amazing relationship that I am in that is really breaking um uh like um hereditary patterns and that that's something that I really really work hard on mm-hmm. um and then also relative to that is is obviously my business within EVO. And um, I really hope that, you know, eight years from now, EVO has been um, successful in um, – moving our our world forward to be kinder more conscious specifically on some of the things that we're working on now i know in our pre-show conversation we talked a little bit about um one of our upcoming initiatives which is did i make myself Mm -hmm. clear which is really focused on reallocating funds within the domestic violence unit um, police unit to uh, community organizations um shifting things around to make them make sense um so I hope that EVO is able to be successful, continue to push those causes and and elevate those voices forward. And in addition to that as well, having products that are a part of somebody's conscious beauty routine that means so much more to them than just you know visually how a lip gloss makes you look, but how that you know that moment within the day that you have to yourself to you know take your power back and to okay. decide how you're going to show up to the world. And so being a part of more people's um daily routines like that and and becoming a household name that is known for moving the world to to a kinder place um is is really what i'm hoping the next eight years looks like and also that we start like it's not i think it's very clear in this interview too that it's not really about the makeup for us we're Mm -hmm. really we're really damn good at making makeup but um (laughs) But it's so much more than that to us. So um, I also um, foresee us going into other products and really becoming a portfolio of apparel and cosmetics, skincare, body care, maybe even household products, all sorts of things that is really just a brand that stands for that sentiment of creating a kind, conscious future and knowing better and doing better and becoming a hub for content surrounding that so that we can all, again, not be an expert, but learn together and adjust and learn new perspectives, learn from our community and um, teach what we're learning to our community as well. So that's really where I see it go in the next eight years is becoming something bigger than my experiences, Mm -hmm. but instead a shared collective experience that we can all learn from together and have these products to represent it.
1: Because wow. when we know better, we do better. It makes purpose.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, Brandy. This is just such a heartwarming conversation and it's so inspiring. And I think we need more entrepreneurs like you who have who are so purpose and mission driven and who know what change they want to bring out in the world and are creating a plan to do it. It just oh, it just makes me so fired up and I'm so excited for you. One final question that we ask everybody that comes on. Obviously, we think you get it. Who do you think gets it?
0: Ooh. (laughs) Who do I think gets it? You know what? I... This is somebody I really, really look up to, and I don't think I've ever said this publicly before because I've been the kind of person who's like, no, like, I'm going to be my own muse and I'm yep. I'm going to inspire myself. But you know who I think really gets it and really inspires me is Alicia Keys.
1: Oh, yes. such a good answer.
0: <laughs> such
1: a good answer. And someone who doesn't wear makeup, which is a testament to the fact that she really does get it. And <laughs> if you're saying that, it means it's even more powerful.
0: Totally. And she just came out with her own skincare um, line as well in collaboration with e.l.f. And um, it just has so much ritual and intention. And oh. just when I hear her speak about it, you can like feel her soul. And it's mm-hmm. very inspiring.
2: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I agree. Anytime I hear her speak, it just like it moves me. I don't know what it is, but there's something there that is. Yeah. No, she gets it. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, Brandy, this has been such a fun interview. I know we're over time and I'm sorry for keeping you, but honestly, I'm just glad that we got to meet and I am so, so, so excited to see where EVO is next year and eight years from now. You're going to kill it and I'm just so excited to watch.
0: Uh, Thank you, Emma. and Thank you, Kelsey, so much. This has been a lot of fun. I'm really, really grateful to be here.
1: Wow, that was... I don't think any of us anticipated the conversation would go the places it did, but Brandy's just so open and she was so vulnerable with the things that she's gone through and the things that she's struggled with. Like, honestly, it stuck out to me and I've said this twice now, but it stuck out to me that being open and vulnerable with your experiences kind of opens this door for other people to be open and vulnerable with you, which in theory sounds great. Yeah. You're building connections with your audience, which is amazing, but it is heavy and it takes a toll. And when Brandy was talking about the fact that like she wasn't mentally in a place where she could support these other people that totally resonated. And I think that's a good lesson or like a tip For other founders out there, especially purpose-driven founders, that you can't be all things to everybody. And you need to prioritize your own mental health and your own boundaries. And only then will you be able to help other people. So major Mm -hmm. key here from Brandy.
2: Yeah. Can't pour from an empty cup. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's so true. Or the other one, you can't put on someone else's oxygen mask before you put on yours, like they say on the airplane.
1: (laughs) Who would have thought those boarding messages would have actually taught us something. Just full of wisdom.
2: (laughs) Yeah, something like that. (laughs) And I also think, like, I loved how she touched on with this new D2C, I don't want to say trend, it's been around for a long time, but I think with e-com and the ability to start an online business, it removes so many of those barriers and it makes entrepreneurship more accessible because you don't have to go through retailers anymore who have, yep. we're really expensive and unattainable for a lot of small brands. And yeah, it just, it got me fired up on, you know, that entrepreneurship is a lot more attainable these days and we love to see it. We love to see it. <laughs> so with that, we will wrap up for today. We hope you loved this episode. And if you did, we would love if you could rate and review us. It helps us out a lot. And until next week, have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye.